said, maybe I'll just lay me down, cry for a hundred years. Don't pull your love out on me, honey. Take my heart, my soul, my money, but don't leave me here. Gonna take that big white bird Gonna fly right out of here Without a single word But you know you'll break my heart When I watch you close that door Cause I know I won't see you anymore Kiss me each morning for a meal Bells Ring Out. This is episode 200 of PZ's podcast entitled Catatonia. And you've just heard Glenn Campbell's killer version of Don't Pull Your Love Out on Me, Baby, and Then You Can Say Goodbye. And there are two thoughts that I'd like to utter in connection with this um, landmark piece, arbitrarily, because it's 200, but I do see it as a time to sum up and hopefully, uh, with some humor, uh, tell you about an incident that occurred to me recently that is so uh, instantiating the central idea of these casts that it's almost out of a twilight zone. As a matter of fact, it sort of is out of the twilight zone, literally. Well, uh, there are two ideas that I've tried to present uh, in recent casts, and they come out of my own experience, but they are the product of reflection, uh, theologically and psychologically, for so many years, and uh, personally. And the first is that 
The romantic element in human interchange, the romantic element in human connection, the romantic element of human experience is the determining one. Note I say the determining one. The determining element in the dynamic and the motivation of being human is the romantic desire, aspiration for connection, and the corresponding devastation of the loss of connection, the mourning for connection, and in so many cases the non-completed grieving after a connection is broken, that I'm simply at great pains to say that the numero uno factor in human experience is not economic, and it's not political, and it is not uh, ideological, but it is the search for the actuality of, and so often the loss of, the romantic connection. <clears throat> a friend of mine who's my age, who's extremely sophisticated and very knowing and very brilliant and very delightful and wonderful, is about the hardest person to pin down I've ever known in my life. He just is always on the road. He's always traveling here, there, and everywhere, and his whole <clears throat> sort of persona is just uh, the elusive butterfly, but in a male form. And um, I love him very much, and yet recently I find that this particular fellow, not a young man, has stayed in one place by one telephone line in one particular environment without moving five inches for the last uh, several months. And um, the reason is there's love. There's, uh, there's a... He met somebody, as we say, and that elusive butterfly has become the uh, sort of great tortoise slug of the age. He's going nowhere because he's finally found something that he really wants, rather someone that he really wants. And um, the uh, uh, Glenn Campbell um, song is so powerful because it's a cover, of course, but it's beautifully done by Glenn Campbell. Because he, he if you pull your love out on me, I'm going to lay me down for a hundred years, or is it a thousand years? It's forever. I cannot live without you, and if I have to do without you, I'll die. Uh, but if I have you, I'll do anything. And that is the actuality of human life. Now, this is a little like... Um, the podcast that I gave a few weeks ago about dating, uh, fabulous dating tips for gals in which I came out very strenuously against internet dating. But you remember what I said? I said that um, I'm against internet dating, but you won't hear it now. Don't, don't listen to this cast today because you'll say, oh, well, I'm alone and you're or prospectively alone and you're taking away the one hope that I have of finding companionship and a relationship. And I say, well, then don't listen to the cast, but listen to it in five years and you may think differently. Listen to it in 10 years and you'll say, oh, my God, <laughs> I'd only listen to that then. Well, <clears throat> you may say I'm reducing human experience to the romantic slash psychosexual and you may have all sorts of reasons for saying it, so don't listen to the cast. Come back and come back when you're 58 and uh, see what you think then. And um, I stand by the conviction, but I don't expect anyone to accept it unless you've lived it. And the funny thing is, at people's dying, and I'm very familiar with that, not just to my own, but many others over the years, it's connection and relationship that they are entirely focused on, either the experience of it, the sustenance of it, the enduring character of it, or the profound and tragic uh, loss and abdication and destruction of it, which is such a mortifying, devastating, damaging blow to the human being as he and she prepares to depart. Now, the second <clears throat> great theme is that um, God, uh, um, the old-fashioned way of putting it, is that Christ meets us at our point of need. But I'm happy to say God, 
meets the human being at his and her point of need. That is uh, a maxim that I hold on to, and I've seen it so clearly in my own life in so many ways, which you've sort of accompanied me uh, uh, during in the podcast, but God comes to you at your point of need, and tell me if this isn't true. Um, It it sounds a little, um, it sounds almost verging on semi-Pelagianism, which is the idea that we bring something to the equation, but in fact, we do bring something to the equation, sort of, if it is meant to say, we, we, it's an experience, this may not be true dogmatically or in an orthodox sense, but <clears throat> I believe it's orthodox because it's true. We uh, open the door, we open the door out of vulnerability, destruction, need, and complete distress, and God is always present when we open the door. I've never known a time in my own life or that of anyone else when, if the door were truly and humbly open, you know, help me, God has not answered in profoundest terms. By the way, see Eric Romer's movie, um, uh, The Green Ray. It's out. It's on DVD. Sometimes it's called Summer, but the original title is Le Rayon Vert. And in it, a woman who is completely hopeless, she's absolutely at the end of her tether in every way, and life brings her to a place of utter, complete, failed aloneness, in particular with relationships. And then when she finally is at the absolute end of her tether and realizes it, God makes an appearance. This is at the end of Romer's film. I won't say what it is. That is so true to actual life and so wonderful and so credibly and lovingly and simply filmed that it just takes your breath away. That is a truly religious film, The Green Ray by Eric Romer. Now, I want to tell you about this experience. I had, when I was going to a private school in New York City many, many years ago, at around ages seven, eight, and nine, an adversary in my class, a little boy my age, who made my life absolutely miserable. I never understood why. I don't understand to this day. But for whatever reason, I got under this boy's skin, and he absolutely tortured me for years. You may have had someone like that. Bullying isn't quite the right word, but meanness, absolute cruel meanness and animus and malice. And I never understood why, but it was simply the case. And it caused a tremendous hurt in me and an aversion that I've never gotten over. I think about it often, although I've suppressed it for many years. But there was a kind of element of sheer malice that has never left me, coupled with this feeling of how did he, why did he do this? Uh, I've never saw him since, although I know he exists, and he became quite successful in his own way and uh, lived in New York City. And uh, recently I was invited to an alumni reunion gathering at this school in in downtown New York, in the lower, in the east side of New York, and I went, and there was um, a fellow who uh, bore the name of this guy, but actually was the nephew, because the nephew had gone to this school as well, and the nephew of my friend, let's call his name Randolph, my enemy, I should say, his nephew, the nephew was there with his wife, and they live overseas, they live in Catalonia, in Spain, for business, and um, as I spoke to the nephew, he said to me, uh, I said to him, well, whatever happened to your uncle? <laughs> and he said, well, my uncle's had a stroke and has been very ill. He's been in a wheelchair for the last four and a half years up in Maine. And he's in great distress and really not himself. And he requires 24-hour care. He can afford it, <clears throat> or those who look after him can afford it. And he is um, completely not himself and is in a terrible, terrible way. And I uh, and I've commiserated <laughs> with this man. And then he said, but I'd like you to meet, let me show you my boys. I've brought my little my little boys along. And here he introduced me to his little, they were tiny, three little tiny children. And one of them was named Randolph. This is the great nephew 
of the person who had been my adversary as a little boy. Well, I looked down at Randolph, little baby Randolph, and I couldn't believe my eyes. Randolph was Randolph. I had grown up with this little, this uncle, this great grand uncle, isn't that the word? Forever. And I'd known him when he was very little, and I'd seen pictures of him as a baby when I would go to their apartment in New York City. And I was looking at Randolph, and it was Randolph. I was, he was not, he, he was the boy that I had known 50 years ago. And I was encouraged to take him into my arms, which I did. And I like little boys. I like children. And we immediately connected, and we began to talk back and forth, this little tiny baby and I, little boy and I. And we had a grand old time, and I held him, and I just looked at him, and I said, this is Randolph. I can't believe it. Now, what did that say to me? It said to me a whole bunch of things. For example, it said to me that genes passed down from the third to the fourth generation. I thought of the passage in Exodus when the sins of the fathers are transferred down to the children to the fourth and the fifth generations. <laughs> but without projecting that on baby Randolph, I thought to myself, genetics is really the scientific form of metempsychosis, which is a sort of new agey word for a new thought for um, the transfer of souls from one body to another, like in Here Comes Mr. Jordan, the famous and really wonderful movie with Robert Montgomery, Claude Rains. I was holding Randolph um, two generations further on, and it was the child himself, metempsychosis, Gen genetic transfer. Somehow the genetic transfer had been handed off perfectly down to the tiniest detail of hair color and uh, shape of the eyebrows and smile and the little gestures of the child I was holding Randolph. Secondly, I thought to myself, well, this is what actually sort of Neville Shute was trying to talk about in, in the wet. This is when the the, uh, an old man dies and goes into the body of a little boy, of a baby, immediately at the moment of, uh, of conception uh, or something like that. And uh, that's weird, obviously, reincarnation. But I was really holding Randolph Renatus. I was holding Randolph, my old adversary, reborn. And, and whatever that says about transmission of uh, karmic material, psychogenetic material, spiritual and soul material, I don't know. But the box tops, you know, soul deep. Uh, there it was. And uh, then I thought to myself, well, this is so vulnerable. What really happened? It was like, a, it was like an eclipse of the sun had suddenly ended. You know when you're looking at the sun on a beach or something like that, and for some strange reason of geometry, a plane passes across the disk of the sun, and suddenly for a minute everything's dark and it's a flash, or a bird near you, a bird flies over at the beach and it flies over the disk of the sun for a moment. Well, in this case, a, 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 a plane had flown across the disk of the sun, which is my life, and it stood still. And there was a sense of the light had stood still and the plane was the malice of a little boy that was really cruel and physical and deeply personalistic and hostile. And that it held. And as I held this little Randolph, uh, the shadow passed uh, and it was as if, you know, what? this is nothing. This is Randolph is dead, quote, as it were. He's in a wheelchair in Maine, but he's he's here, but he's a baby. And and so his existence is the the, the his existence is not confined to an historical reality an experience that I had of three long and tortured years with him in my class no it's gone uh, he's now this little baby and I can hold him I'm I'm in charge now I thought of the Twilight Zone episode written also by um, 
Rod Serling, in fact, called Fountain of Youth, in which a hussy, a terribly awful social climbing, gold-digging, 24-year-old blonde uh, who marries a much older, wealthy man and tortures him after she marries him, tortures him in every way about his potency, this, that, and the other thing, and makes his life miserable, waiting for him to die through the intervention of a Twilight Zone-type scenario. The old man is suddenly turned into a little boy, a little baby, as he was, and it is the fate that the wrathful destiny of this hussy to have to look after the man she had been such a burr on the side to, such a cruel, malicious person to, forever, for as he grows from babyhood to manhood. And of course, she'll be, when, she, when he's 30, she'll be 60. And one thing, and she'll be his mom, but she wasn't his mom. And uh, this uh, karmic thing, and I thought of that, you know, is in a way... It, it, it passes on. It, there's there's no limit to it. Uh, this is a time. This my little three years that I had with Randolph are nothing, and here he is again. And maybe maybe uh, three more generations from then he'll be reincarnated into Randolpha, you know, Renata, and um, and it'll be the same. And somebody else will be holding him. And uh, something about the transitory character of all these particular things, the very small change character of even something that meant so much to me. All of it seemed to uh, amount to kind of a great big recession, a recession of the evil influence of this experience on me. And it was as real because God intervened and enabled me to meet from Catalonia, baby Randolph, and hold Randolph in my hands and see my entire life in a new light. I'm quoting our great friend Canon Anne Long of Salisbury Cathedral um, of Salisbury. Uh, you know, after someone dies, she said, well, perhaps he'll see things now in a new light. Well, I saw everything in a new light, and it was extremely salvific and honoring and helpful and hopeful. And God spoke to me. So that's the second part of this podcast, that God uh, comes to you in your time of need, or to quote the sort of Eastern side of it, but it's true in Western life. When the student is ready, the teacher appears. And uh, when you're open, the word that you get is hopeful and good and you might have baby Randolph sent to you, C-O-D and you find that the answer to your prayer is answered but in a way that you never in a trillion years would have metempsychotically metempsychosically uh, envisaged and that is exactly what happened. So I leave those two thoughts for you and it's been real and uh, this is not the Who's final tour which as we know is never the Who's final tour. They're always back and I'm sure I'll come back but this is important to me that I've reached with you the 2000 podcast and I think we really need to hear now from Three Dog Night. Love you! Well, I never been to Spain But I kind of like the music See, the ladies are insane there And they sure know how to use it They don't abuse it Never gonna lose it
that doesn't matter.